Merry Christmas. All right, let me begin with a short survey. Um, I just need by show of hands, how many of you, if you had to pick between cat and dog, how many of you are dog people? Can I see your hands? Okay. How many of you are cat people? Can I see your hands? Cat people. Okay. Um, oh, please. We don't want any of that. This is Christmas, for goodness sakes. Um, okay. How many of you are just animal people? You love all the animals. You love them so much. Okay. How many of you are not animal people? I don't want a pet. I don't understand all that. Okay. So we got some diversity here. Um, so I wanted to start off with an observation about dogs and cats. Um, this is a joke that I heard, but it also is an observation about dogs and cats. I heard someone say something along these lines. They said, when the owner of a dog comes home for the day, the dog approaches its owner with this sort of attitude that you, so that you could sort of tell the dog is going like, oh, you feed me, you put a roof over my head, you clean up after me, you must be God. <laughs> but when the owner of a cat comes home, the cat looks at its owner and has sort of an attitude of like, you feed me, you put a roof over my head, you clean up after me, I must be God. <laughs> okay, isn't that true? Um, I mean, it's probably not true of every dog and every cat, but, um, but it's true enough that everyone always gets it. And, uh, and those ways of viewing the world that I just described also come in human varieties. Did you know that? Yeah, that there are some humans who, who when they receive a gift, they think, how great is the giver for giving me this gift. And then there are some humans who, who, when they receive a gift, they think, how great am I that I am worthy of this gift? And this can leak over into our relationship with God, into something that I, I call dog theology and cat theology, okay? And I say I call it that because that was what I called it, but I am aware that there is a book that has been written called Dog and Cat Theology or Cat and Dog Theology, something like that. Anyway, I just wanna let you know, I have not read that book, um, I have been saying what I'm about to say to you since before I ever knew about that book's existence. Um, in fact, it's a shame. I sort of wish I could have made whatever money was made off of that book. Um, but anyway, what I've been saying, and I think it's similar to probably what's in that book, what I've been saying for a while now is the difference between dog and cat theology is this. Dog theology is, is the word I use to talk about people who look at what the Bible teaches and they say, oh, God sustains me. He forgives me. He sent his son to die on the cross for my sins. He provides for me for all of my eternity. He must be great. And then there are some people who look at the same data and they go, oh, God sustains me and he forgives me and he sent his son to die on the cross for my sins and he set it up so I can live with him for all of eternity. I must be great. And you may go, oh, please, is there anybody that does that? Oh, yes, that definitely happens within Christianity. There was a song that was written not too long ago, like a Christian song that came out, and the title of the song was Someone Worth Dying For, and the whole point of the song was to talk about Jesus dying on the cross and sort of spin it into how great we are that we are someone worth dying for. The, the, the song, even in the chorus, talks about, like, it's like a prayer, God, help me to believe that I'm someone worth dying for, you know, and I, I listen to it, and I'm like, that's crazy, like, you should be so happy he died on the cross to forgive you for writing stupid songs like that, like, that's... <laughs> That's not even what it's about. And so today, um, we are going to do dog theology as a church, okay? Because that's what the Bible teaches. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, not because we are so awesome, but because he is so awesome. Amen? Amen. So 
We have Luke chapter two to look up today. Luke chapter two is gonna be the passage we begin with. Luke chapter two is a very well-known passage of scripture. It is the Christmas story and it is the most well-known portion of the Christmas story. So even if you're not much of a church person, if you've ever gone to a Christmas play or a Christmas pageant or watched the Charlie Brown Christmas special or anything like that, this is always the passage that gets read. Luke chapter two, and I'm gonna start reading in verse one. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough. By the way, that's, a, that's the same thing as manger. Like manger and feeding trough are synonyms. She laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the lodging place. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news. That'd be a great name for a church, wouldn't it? (laughs) I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, a, what's the word? Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. So the good news that the angels announced was that a Savior was born. That was the good news. It wasn't really that, like the good news wasn't a baby was born and is placed in a feeding trough. You realize that? Like that's just, that's the way they were to identify which baby was the savior, right? It wasn't, the, the, the angels did not show up and go, shepherds, man, do I have something to tell you? There's a, this is crazy. You gotta come, you gotta come. There's a, there's a baby in a feeding trough. Like it's like, this is crazy. That's not what they were doing. The good news that was announced was the Savior was born. The only reason the feeding trough even gets into the story was to identify which one was the Savior because I'm assuming in Bethlehem there were probably several babies that were there and I guess only one in a feeding trough and so it was to identify which one it was. But the good news was a Savior has been born. So Jesus came here to save us. That's what it means by a Savior is born. He came here to save us. Okay, save us from what? What did he come to save us from? For that, we're going to have to go to the other Christmas story, okay? If you didn't know, there's more than one Christmas story in the Bible. The most famous two are Matthew and Luke. They're kind of the only two that really get into Jesus' birth. Luke's version, Matthew's version. So I just read to you from Luke. Now I'm going to go to Matthew. Luke's version of the story is more, the more Mary-centric Christmas story. Matthew's version is the more Joseph-centric Christmas story. So I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 1. Starting in verse 20, it says this. But after he had considered these things, and the he there is Joseph, and the considered these things was pregnant Mary and what to do about it. After he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. Now look at the next verse. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus. Okay? Now, Jesus means the Lord saves. Why did the angel tell Joseph, you're going to need to name this baby the Lord saves? Well, he explains it in the rest of the verse. You are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that answers our question. 
Okay, what is it that Jesus saves us from? If he is the Savior, what does he save us from? According to Matthew, he saves us from our sins. Well, what does that mean to be saved from our sins? And so I want to share with you something that I learned a long time ago. When I was in my 20s, I went to a church planting training thing in Orlando, and the guy that was speaking's name was Greg Heinch. He's not a famous pastor, but he is a pastor. I think he's a pastor in Orlando still to this day. Well, I know he is. I went to his church like, I don't know, a month or two ago. So he's this pastor, but this was, oh, I don't know, maybe 17 years ago. And I'm sitting there in this church planting training thing, and he's talking about the salvation that Jesus provides, and he said this thing that I had never heard before at that point. He talked about the salvation of Jesus and he talked about it in the, like the past and present and future tenses. Like he said, there's a sense in which Jesus has saved us and there's a sense in which he is saving us and there's a sense in which he will save us, right? We have been saved, we are being saved and we will be saved. And then after he said that, he talked about what we're saved from and he used three words and they all started with the letter P, which made it very memorable. Also, I think I wrote it down. Okay, and so I was like, whoa, I've never heard it said this way before. But he said, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. And we will be saved from the presence of sin. And I thought, oh, that is good. And so what I did um, as a Christmas present to all of you, I made a chart for you, okay? So if you put the chart up now. So this is what he said that day, and I have added to it a couple of columns of me trying to explain what I think he meant, what he said, what he said that day, okay? So he said, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin according to the Bible? So what I put in that column is condemnation, death, and hell. I realize those things are not all the same thing, but they are all very related, and they're all things that the Bible talks about, okay? So that there's condemnation, that's a penalty of sin, that there's a a problem between us and God relationally because we are condemned, rightfully condemned. Death, the wages of sin is death. Hell is talked about in the Bible as a punishment for sin. And so the penalty of sin is something we've been saved from. So I give you these scriptures. You can look them up on your own. You can take a picture. I can see already some people are. If you want to take a picture of the screen and look it up later, you can. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the idea that the penalty of sin is death, right? There's this eternal separation from God. That's talked about in Romans 6.23. But you don't have to, you, don't, you can be saved from the penalty of your sin. How? Well, there is a gift that's given, eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, how in the world can we be saved from this condemnation, this death, this hell that we deserve? And the answer, the answer to how is, well, by Jesus dying on the cross. Like, what did Jesus do to make sure that we have been saved from the penalty of sin? He died on the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying on the cross in our place, taking on our condemnation, taking on the punishment that we deserve in our place so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be saved from the penalty of sin. If you look up Romans 8.1, you'll see that it says there is no condemnation for the people that are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. So my understanding of that is this. There's a sense in which you have already been saved. You've already been saved from condemnation because there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're someone who trusts in him, as your Lord and Savior, you are uncondemned like right now as you sit there. I mean, I think there's a judgment day coming where that kind of becomes official, but as best as I understand it, you're uncondemned right now. That the, that the relationship with you and God is right and good and restored even right now. You have been saved from the penalty of sin if you believe in Jesus Christ, and that's because he died on the cross. Okay, well then he also said that we are being saved. He said, we are being saved from the power of sin. And so I was thinking about that. And, the, and the, the thing I use that I see in the Bible is this phrase, slavery to sin. You see this metaphor used in the Bible, maybe more than, in more than one place. Slavery to sin is this idea that sin uh, controls us, is our master. Some of you can relate to this. 
right? I mean, there's a sense in which all of us can because everybody in this room is a sinner. So we've all experienced slavery to sin. But I would imagine there are some of you here that can really relate to it in the sense that you, have you ever been in a situation where you did something that was wrong, all right? You sinned and you thought, I'm not gonna do that anymore, all right? I don't, I don't like how that turned out. I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm done with that, okay? And then a couple days went by and you did it again. Have you ever had that happen? It's crazy, we've got like two people here that have sinned, two people here that have done the same sin twice, okay, that's, that's incredible. You're much holier than the first service, I'm, I'm impressed. I actually think you're just liars, but. Um, <laughs> so I, I, whether you admit it or not, whether you're willing to raise your hand on Christmas or not, I don't really care. I think that there are many of you in this room who have said, I'm gonna stop sinning, and then you did it again, and you did it again, and there came a point where you go, this is, this is awful, I'm doing stuff that even I think is wrong. I'm doing things that even I don't want to do anymore. I wish I could be saved from this. I feel like I'm stuck in it. And so the Bible says um, that Jesus saves us from the power of sin. And it seems like this is something that's happening in our life currently. And a lot of us see this like progress over time in our life, that we are being saved from the power of sin. So in the scriptures here, I wrote down Romans 6, 1 through 6, which is this incredible passage that talks about um, Christians being set free from slavery to sin. And it talks about the fact that when we are um, immersed into Jesus Christ, when we are baptized into Jesus Christ, we, in a very real sense, died with him and then come back to life with him. That there is a sense in which when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and became one of his, the old you died and a new you came to life. And so that's what I put how here. How does he save us from the power of sin? By giving us new life in this life now. There are a couple of people who go to church here, and uh, over the past, I don't know, a couple of weeks, I had a conversation with relatives of theirs. This, this happened two different times. Two different relatives of people who go to church here. And the relative said of the person who attends church here, um, they're, they're like a different person. They said something along those lines. And, both, and these were conversations I had that were not like it was not, they did not know that they would end up in the sermon today. Like they had no clue. It was just casual conversation. And one of them was talking and they said, yeah, that person, like in both cases, the person who attends church here became a Christian as an adult. And so their relatives actually got to see them as an adult that doesn't believe in Jesus and then as an adult that does. And one of them, I remember saying like, wow, there's been like a significant change in his life. And then the other one, I remember they said, it, it seems like he's a whole new person. It was a mother talking about her son. They said, it just seems like he's not even the same person that he was. And some of you have experienced that and you know that. Like, does that happen? Yeah, Jesus gives people new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And then Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, the reason I put that in there is to talk about a little bit of how this happens. How can we be saved from the power of sin or the slavery of sin? Philippians chapter 2 actually says that God comes into the life of people and he enables us to be able to desire and to do his will. How in the world could I be free from sin? God actually enables you to be able to desire what he wants and do what he wants. The way the verse is written, it seems to imply that apart from him, you would not be able to desire, you would not be able to do, you would be stuck there forever. But he enables you to be able to do what he calls you to do. And then the last category is that we will be saved from the presence of sin. This is looking forward to the future. And I put in this category pain, suffering, and hardship just as like things that are connected to the presence of sin. That ever since sin entered into this world, there was a curse that came with it. And with that curse came pain and suffering and hardship. And so we live in this world where there is still sin and it's difficult. Um, there was a shooting yesterday right here in uh, Ocala at the mall, right? There is coming a day when that is going to be done. 
We're not gonna hear stories like that anymore. Like those stories will be over and we will be saved from the presence of sin. Revelation chapter 21, verses three through four talks about the future, talks about God dwelling with his people in a new heaven and a new earth for all of eternity. And if you look up that verse, you'll see that the way that it's described in Revelation 21 is, is the way that it will be with God when his people are all together one day is there will be no grief and no crying and no pain and no death because the old order of things has passed away. And so what does Jesus save us from? He saves us from our sins. What does that mean? I don't think it's an overstatement to say that he has saved us, he is saving us, and he will save us from every bad thing. You know, like sometimes we get so narrow, Jesus will save your soul. No, no, it's bigger than that. Jesus will make your life. No, no. He has saved us, he is saving us, and he will save us from every bad thing. And that is a huge salvation. That is a huge salvation. And that's why there are some Christmas things that bother me, okay? Like the Christmas episode of many TV shows, okay? (laughs) Whenever I watch TV shows, you know they have this like obligatory Christmas episode that they have to do this time of year. And I don't even, I hardly watch TV anymore. So I don't even know if they're still doing this, but I know they used to. Have you ever seen this in movies and, you know, Christmas plays and stuff where like one character will say, and that's what Christmas is all about, right? Are any of you, and you're the people watching going like, that's not what Christmas was actually all about. (laughs) Have you, have you been in that moment? So anyway, so I'm, I'm watching this uh, TV show. I think this was about six years ago. And one of the characters in the show described Christmas this way to one of the other characters in the show. And I don't, I wouldn't remember it's a dialogue from six years ago, except that I wrote it down at the time. One of the characters in the show that I was watching described Christmas this way. They said, the t- quote, the time of year we celebrate a baby that was born to bring us all together, end quote. That was how they described Christmas. This is the time of year that we celebrate a baby that was born to bring us all together. <sighs> Doesn't that just feel like grandma's banana pudding, you know, like it just... <laughs> It brings us all together and we all gather around it and we're happy to be apart. And so I just, I don't know, I don't like that. And and here's what's difficult about it. It's true. You can't even say, well, that's not true. Like Jesus comes and saves the people for himself, bringing a whole bunch of people together so that there will be people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation all brought together because of him. Like because of the way that he will save people and bring them together all into one kingdom and all into one household, there will be white people and black people and young people and old people and rich people and poor people and male people and female people all brought together in one household with God as their father. And they're related to each other, loving each other as brothers and sisters forever. That's true. But it just feels like such an understatement to say, well, this is when we celebrate a baby that was born to bring us all together. Like the reason that we're all together is because of this great salvation that was left unmentioned in the TV show. It'd be like this. Like imagine, imagine a situation where someone is being rescued, their life is being saved. Picture a lifeguard at the side of the pool, okay? And then picture someone in the pool drowning, okay? So you've got a person under the water, cannot swim, drowning, Lifeguard outside the pool sees it. The person that's under the water is going to die. Like they are panicking and they are at the point where they realize like in a minute or two, I'm going to suck in water and I'm going to, I'll be dead. And I want you to imagine that the lifeguard jumps into the pool and rescues that person, grabs that, definitely not going to live if somebody doesn't do something, body, and pulls them out of the swimming pool into the side of the swimming pool. And there all the friends and family are gathered that just watched the lifeguard do this. And the person sits there and they, you know, <coughs> cough up all the chlorinated water and they look up and I'll tell you what happens in that moment. They never look to the lifeguard and go, I'm glad you brought us all together. 
like this. Like never does that happen. They don't ever say that, nor any of the other silly things that are said about Jesus this time of year or any time of year. I mean, how about this one? Jesus came to be a role model for us. Have you heard that one? Oh, Christmas, it's so great. Jesus was born to show us how to live. Well, yes, yes, he's a good role model. He was perfect. Anybody that's perfect is a fantastic role model. But that wasn't the point. That was the point. You would never say to the lifeguard who just rescued you from certain doom, thank you for being such a good role model for me. I'm going to teach my kids what would lifeguard do, right? That's what I'm going to do in reaction to this. No, you would say, thank you for saving me. I was a goner. Like apart from you, I was doomed. Thank you for saving me. And so we focus on the title of the Christ Savior this morning. And the salvation that Jesus provides is huge. Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, and an angel announced to the shepherds, a Savior has been born. And an angel announced to Joseph, he will save his people from their sins. And when you understand that through the lens of the rest of the Bible, you realize he saves us from every bad thing. That's a lot to sing about. That's a lot to worship him for. And so if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, but you happen to be here for whatever reason, first of all, proud of you, glad that you're here. And um, I hope that you will repent and believe. That's all I know to tell you, repent and believe. And when I say repent, I mean turn away from whatever it was you were believing, whatever it was you were doing. And by believe, I mean trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and, and live as if this is true, because it is. And if you're here this morning and you are already a Christian, we have an opportunity for you this morning. We have an opportunity for you to worship him in song right after this. I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, the band is going to come up, and we're going to sing a whole mess of Christmas songs in order to worship Jesus for what he did for us 2,000 years ago and beyond. So let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your salvation, and I do thank you that it's huge. I am glad that you are bringing us all together. I am thankful that you are a role model, and there are real times in life where we can ask, what would Jesus do to try to figure out what to do? More than that, I thank you for saving us. I thank you for the salvation you've already provided. I thank you for the salvation you're like, doing in our life as we live, and I thank you for the future salvation we have not yet experienced, but we look forward to. I pray for anybody in this room who is uh, not a Christian. I pray that they would come to know you. I pray that they would place their trust and their faith in you this Christmas season. That they would turn from whatever it was before and they would go, no, no, I, I now realize I need to put everything, all my eggs into that basket. I need, to, I need to recognize this Jesus as my savior. So I pray that there would be people who would turn to you as savior today. I ask that they would do that. I ask that you would do that in them. I believe that by the power of your spirit, you can make it so that we desire, so that we want you, so that we understand you. You can open our eyes to see things we haven't seen before. And so I pray that you would open our eyes, Lord. I pray that there would be people who'd come to know you today. And we thank you for that gift. And for those of us who do know you, thank you for this opportunity to sing these songs, to worship you. I pray that we would take this opportunity well. I pray that it would be pleasing to you. And so we worship you as our Savior and, and many other things. In Jesus' name, amen.